G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. And there's so many times where we imagine like how old she would be now and what she'd be like playing with her brother and sister. And we even like my son talks about the fact that he's not our first child. He knows that. He knows he's the second child. He knows he has an older sister in heaven. He sometimes laments the fact that he doesn't get to know her, right? And what it would be like to have her around. When we think about the challenges we see people facing in the world around us, we can quickly become overwhelmed. Today's guest is Nick McKay. National Director of Neighbour Australia, that's N-A-Y-B-A, which helps churches across the country to serve those in need and help transform their neighbourhoods. He's also the author of Faith, Death and Pills. We'll be continuing his story of recovery and discussing the mental health crisis in Australia and what can be done about it. That's Nick McKay, our guest today, with my wife Kate and myself Brett Ryan for Focus on the Family Australia. You said you went to a dark place. You went yeah. to a, not a healthy place. So yes. unpack that a little bit more about what did that look like? Yeah. I had probably a year after Sinclair's death, I had quite serious suicidal thoughts for a period of time. And it wasn't that I wanted actually to die. It was just that I wanted the darkness of that season to end. And I think that I can't speak into everybody's situation, obviously, but I feel like a lot of people who get to that point, that's what it is. They just want they just, just want to break, you know, yeah. and see that that's the only way through. And I think I also misinterpreted some expectations or even some interpretations of Scripture when it says that, like, there's power in the tongue, right? Because mm. sometimes, or at least for me, that led me to think I should not name what I'm feeling or dealing with because that will give it power, right? Because there's power in the time. And what I found was exactly the opposite. It was that when I used the power of my tongue to express Mm -hmm. what I was feeling and and even what I'd been considering, it was then that I was able to see, in some cases, how absurd it might have been. Certainly, it wasn't what I wanted. And I was able to then take it to God take it to friends and family, mm. ultimately, like, take it to professionals who were able to help me. So, that, that was regard. your aha moment. Yeah, and it happened a couple of times. Once when I was having those those really dark thoughts and I expressed it to friends and they expressed great concern for me and the extent mm. of their concern surprised me. It shouldn't have. Yeah. But that's part of what made me think, ah, oh, something's not right here if yeah. you're responding this way. And then down the track, when I was able to, with Dawn's help, speak to my GP and say, I think I'm actually depressed. Right, And I didn't want to say it, mm. but the moment I did, it felt like it was, you know, chains breaking, this sense of release, yeah. because it's like, yes, all you've done is recognize the truth of what's actually happening. I think that's going to be very good for many men yep. and for their spouses to actually hear that, to actually say, it's okay 
to not be okay. Absolutely. But it's not okay to stay not okay. Yeah. And having the voice of others, and obviously Dawn had gone through her own grief. Yes. And now she has to support her husband mm. in all this. Mm. And... <laughs> That would have been an interesting conversation in itself. It was. In fact, she was the one who came to me and said, and this might have been three years after, because grief's a strange mm-hmm. thing and like mental health is, is it's a journey. It's not linear. It's not at all. No. Right? And if you defer grief, then it catches up eventually mm-hmm. um, and in different forms. So, yeah, she came to me and said, look, I just don't think that you're okay. And I think we need to go and get help, even if that means that you need to take medication um, or think about like some other form of support. Uh and it was so strange for me because I'd done a lot of work in the kind of non-profit sector. In some cases, I'd done some advocacy work around mental health and particularly like seeking to empower and encourage others, you know, that if medication was something that they needed to get, they should yeah. do that. Yeah. And there should be no stigma about it, right? But <laughs> until I, it's you. Until it's me, <laughs> yeah. right? And all the grace that I'd extended to others, therefore, I suddenly didn't have for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I mean, as she's done for me so many times during our, our marriage, and I think that's what a good relationship should look like. I hope I've done it for her occasionally, is that, you know, we come and we we call each other back to awareness of what, the situation is and with that in and love without judgment absolutely yeah and sometimes it can be tough love and sometimes it yeah. can be really gentle love and the circumstance determines yeah. how that's presented but she was just such a gift to me in that in that moment and from the minute i spoke out what i was actually thinking in my head suddenly the thoughts were no longer just mine to kind of process yeah. right and i'd even convinced myself at that point that like this thought of needing help and perhaps needing some medication was the devil, right? So then mm. we have these own narratives ourselves, right? I was about right? to say, it's the narrative that we replay in our mind that Absolutely. is the worst. Everything right? starts there. Totally. Because yeah. then the words are like, no, like that must be the devil because it must be because God just wants me to pray more and believe more. And if I'm not better as a result of that, then it's because I'm not praying enough or I don't have enough it's faith. Or, it's my sin, yeah. right? Yeah. It's me. I'm not doing enough or I'm not enough, yeah. right? And I think that's where that scripture about the power of the tongue actually comes out because when you name it, then you can start unpacking all yeah. of these lies that have lived somehow on the inside and begin to see that actually – God's desire for me was that he would help me see that healing comes in many different forms. Mm. It can come through prayer. It can come through spiritual deliverance, and I experienced that too. It can come through medication. It can come through professional counseling and help. It can come through family and friends and a sense of community. Mm. And his power is manifest and made perfect in the midst of all of those things. And he's not limited by anything or yeah. any any one approach, that's the glory and the mystery and the magnificence of God, is that he can heal us in all sorts of ways, and he does. And um, I, I think, wonderful. too, that whole concept of when it's just sitting up there in our mind and mm. we're running through the narrative, mm. when we're talking about the power of the tongue, I think it has to do with when we take it out of the darkness, yes. which is our mind, it runs away with itself. And especially when we're low, it can play havoc. Yeah. And it, it talking about bringing the darkness out by naming it, Yes, it's now in front of the light. That's right. And, you know, anything that's kept in secret yep. can be darkness. That's right. You know, if you've got to keep it secret, yep. like, as in, you know, a heavy secret, it's darkness in there. And so just to bring it out and say it to someone mm. is bring it out into the light so that God can then work with it. Absolutely. Because he wants us to bring it to him, you know, lay your burden down. Mm. And when we do and when it comes into the light, I think not only 
does that allow us to receive his healing in whatever form that that Mm -hmm. comes? But it also allows us to see how whatever we might have walked and whatever journey we might have been on or be on can ultimately be used for the benefit of others. Because even the ability to have this conversation now, right, and whatever words I might have shared that have hopefully been encouraging for someone listening at some point in their journey or at some point in the future, that is the ultimate blessing. And it also helps to explain, in part, some of the reason as to why my child might have needed to die, right? And can enable me to say, I am grateful. And my wife said this to me the other day, I'm grateful that our child died. Now, that seems either terribly callous or just doesn't make sense or like, what are you, are you kidding yourself about this? And it doesn't mean that we would have wanted that experience. Like we, we wouldn't have asked for it. Right. No. And there's so many times where we imagine like how old she would be now and what she'd be like playing with her mm. brother and sister. And we even like, my son talks about the fact that he's not our first child. He knows mm. that. He knows he's the second child. Mm-hmm. He knows he has an older sister in heaven. He sometimes laments the fact that he doesn't get to know her, mm. right? And what it would be like to have her around. And there's such beauty, but also such pain in that. But overall, we are so grateful for the experience because of how it has grown us in our faith, how it has revealed God to us in ways that we never would have been able to fathom otherwise, Mm. and how it empowers us as parents and hopefully as friends to our loved ones and to those in our midst to be able to recognize and speak into pain in others that we never would have been able to had we not had our own experience. That's right, because you develop empathy. Exactly. Um, You now understand the pain that others are walking through. We see you here today processing in a healthy way Mm. but just for our listeners Mm. it's not always instantaneous it's a journey (laughs) you (laughs) said you actually had that aha moment yeah you sought professional help yep you did go on some medication yep tell us a little bit about that yeah episode or chapter in your journey sure i mean i think that the healing kind of began in earnest maybe three years after my daughter died and it took four years from there to get to a place where I felt like I was actually back to some level of health and wholeness. And I still take medication to this day. Mm. Um, And I've learnt to be okay with that. And sometimes that even in itself is a journey because I still Mm. have my own voices and sense of stigma about it. Uh, But it was non-linear, as you were saying, you know, that I was on medication for a while, then I went off and I thought I was doing fine, but it actually wasn't. Um, And then I went back on and it kind of felt like that was part of what I needed. Um, but then I realized that there was, in the midst of my darkness, there was then a spiritual burden that I needed to kind of rid myself of mm-hmm. um, yeah. and praying into that um, and having some quite really remarkably freeing experiences mm-hmm. within that. Uh, finding the right psychotherapist or, mm-hmm. or counselor to help yeah. me, um, that was a journey because there are many people out there, yes. but it doesn't necessarily mean they're the right person for you. No, yeah. that's right. Right? We um, often refer to it as you have to try on a glove to see if it fits. Absolutely. Same thing with having the right help to find out if it fits for you. Absolutely. But you don't right. necessarily want someone who's just going to agree with you. They want no. you to move you forward. Exactly. And I think that was a, a key part of my journey, and I, I found someone actually in South Africa when we were back over there. Um, and there were two things that helped that to work. One was that the person themselves was just quite remarkable and this beautiful kind of Christian man who was somehow able to weave together, you know, psychology and physiology and spirituality Mm. seamlessly, right, as they don't exist in kind of isolation. We are integrated wholes, you know. Um, But also I was ready 
to get better. Okay. And I think that was one of my aha moments when I then got to that point. And I think I said it to him. I said, I'm now ready to be better. Because mm. I think there also needs to be that decision that we yeah. make that yeah. says, I'm no longer- What do you want from me? Right. Mm. Because also depression in particular can be its own form of addiction in a strange way. Right? Mm. It becomes part of you. It's a familiarity, the feeling, right? And if we deal with it for a long period of time and if we lean into it, and I don't say this in any way like to shame or or judgment because I certainly did it. And at times we need to, because at times we need to lean into those those darker emotions in order to recognize them and confess them and talk about them and process Mm. them. And also even just understand that we live in a fallen world and things are dark at times, right? And if we pretend otherwise, we're kidding ourselves. But that can become its own source of comfort. Um, And so I needed to be ready to leave that behind and to seek out a different way of being um, that was more healthy and more whole and more aligned with where I felt like God yeah. wanted me to go. Yeah, so basically it's, um, is it life enhancing? Mm. So it's not. And are we prepared to let it go? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and right. they, they are tough questions they for are. people because it does become, and it can be anything, it can be sickness, it can be yep. uh, oh, anything. Yeah, any kind of addiction, anything, because it is familiar, as you said. And who will I be without it? Yeah. Will my network around me be different? Well, you know, I haven't had a job up to this point, you know, my whole life. We're speaking with Nick McKay, our guest today for Focus on the Family, Australia. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. Welcome back. We're speaking with Nick McKay, National Director of Neighbour Australia and the author of Faith, Death and Pills. And you're listening to Focus on the Family, Australia. So we see you now. You've put the pen to paper and written about this journey. And I think this will be a really great resource for many people who are going through that. But in your role at Neighbour, you are a natural advocate (laughs) for mental health here in Australia. And, And it does seem, statistically, that we are in crisis. Absolutely. So using your experience at the coalface has probably given you a higher level of empathy and a higher level of urgency for individuals and for the church to be much more open to deal with mental health. I think so. Uh, And I also feel like the gift of the last few years for all of the hardness and grief and challenge that came with COVID and the pandemic, there were also gifts that came out of it, as with any Mm. season of darkness, you know, as I've experienced on my own journey. And I think one of the gifts was that we have, as a community, become better at talking about the issue of mental ill health, uh, and people have become better at recognising it in themselves Mm. and in others, and there's been an increase in people's willingness to seek support when they need it. So, all of those things are great, and certainly there's been a change within the church as well, I think, 
certain churches were already doing wonderful work in this area, but a lot more now and a lot more individual Christians as well are trying to discern how might we be part of this solution mm. yeah. because the extent of the crisis means that no government-funded or even community-supported approach is going to be sufficient, and we know that it's not at the mm. moment. Uh, so what is the role for us as the body of Christ to play in loving our neighbours who in many cases are struggling yeah. with issues of mental yeah. health. And it's in the church too. Like it it's is. not it's inside and outside the church. Spot on. And and I think too, we have to be very mindful that people sitting next to us in church mm. could be going through very real struggles and they are seeing it as a stigma. Yes. Because that's as a right. Christians yeah. we should know how to do it. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And so that's that, why we That's what we f- tell ourselves. We do, don't we? Mm. And so that's why I think we seemingly small things can have a really big impact. Mm. Uh, And that could be everything from what is said from the pulpit on a Sunday Mm. um, and the way in which issues of mental health are discussed uh, through to the ways in which we might engage over coffee with people in our faith community after the service. Mm. You know, we can help to change that culture. Mm. Um, And I know particularly of one church in Melbourne who have done really remarkable work around um, mental health within their community, sparked by... I think two suicides that they had within their youth congregation, um, is that they realised that one of the greatest challenges they had in addressing this issue was to change the culture, both within the church and also some of the the cultural background that people brought into the church, Mm. Um, particularly where you come from cultures that kind of... um, don't necessarily reinforce, but perhaps at times they do shame and silence um, and all of that. There's a lot to try and break down, and none of that is necessarily Christ-like. In fact, I don't believe it is, but we all come with our own stuff, right? We do, and legalism Mm. is very shame-based. It is. And so we have to be very mindful that God was a freeing God. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. And I think what we've done, unfortunately, over time is we've kind of gone from one extreme to the other, in that, say, 20 years ago, the issue of mental health was purely seen as spiritual within the church. Mm. And for the most part, it was a demon, right? Yep. Like, if you yeah. if you were struggling, there was something that needed to be exercised. Yep. And then I feel like, in a way, we might have swung too far the opposite direction, where we now often see the issue of mental health as being purely physical or purely medical. And therefore, we as Christians and people of faith don't have a role to play, Mm. Um, or if we do, then we might actually make things worse. And I think part of our challenge and our opportunity moving forward is to understand that for the most part, the issue of mental health is always partly spiritual and partly medical or physiological. And how do we discern that in each case? And how do we recognize what our role should be in helping others who might be struggling and knowing the points at which we do need to refer them on um, yeah. to yeah. professionals. Well, that's a really good point. Oh, yeah. And let's be practical now. Mm. Uh, for those who are listening, it's not untoward for someone to know somebody, yes. whether it's family, friend, work colleague. Yep. Uh, statistically, yep. that's what's happening. About one in four people are going to be suffering from some form of mental health issue. Yes. So we need to be much more prepared to deal with this. So let's get down to the grassroots here for mm. the people listening here right now or the church, if they're in church leadership. Sure. What should the church be doing? Well, I think that the solutions are simple but not easy. Mm. <laughs> uh, and they may also differ depending on the context. 
And so I just want to caveat kind of whatever mm. I might say mm-hmm. with knowing that in a local community context, the nature of the mental health challenges might be unique mm. and therefore the response might also have to be unique. Yeah. But I would say that there are a few key principles that we should probably keep in mind, mm-hmm. um, either as individuals or as faith communities, churches, that as we seek to respond. One is I think that we need to get informed about what mental ill health actually is, understand yeah. the nature of mental illness, but also then understand that people can be struggling with their mental health and not necessarily have a diagnosable illness. And so mm-hmm. there are also different points at the journey that you can, yeah. not all mental health issues are equal. Um, and so understanding where that sits, but also then get informed about what the Word of God actually has to say about that too, mm. and developing a kind of nuanced theology of mental health that yeah. enables us to respond out of a place of great compassion yeah. um, and love. So that's one. I think the second thing that we can do is to get active in terms of actually seeking to help. Now, that doesn't mean that we necessarily go out looking for people who are struggling with their mental health. You'll find them. They'll they'll come to you, right? And also- If they they feel safe. If they feel safe. Mm. They need to feel safe. They need to be ready. Um, And Mm. so that also speaks to the type of communities that we should be trying to to create because the church at its best is a place of belonging um, and is a place of love and acceptance, right? Exactly what people with Mm. um, struggling with mental health need. Yeah. But I think that at least the commitment to being active, whether that means like getting involved in courses and having people become certified with mental health first aid or spiritual first aid, or whether that means, you know, taking something like um, Neighbour has one of our recognised projects is the Sanctuary Mental Health course, um, which is this kind of alpha style 10-week course, entirely free for small groups in churches, brilliant way to be Mm. able to educate ourselves, but then also like know what are the practical steps we can do to help Mm -hmm. people, um, both within the church and in the broader community. Um, But I think the final most practical thing we can do is be praying. And the reason I say that is not only is there power in prayer when we're praying for those who might be struggling with mental health Mm. and believing that God can intervene and will intervene in all sorts of beautiful ways, Mm -hmm. sometimes unexpected, Mm. rarely in the time that we might um, might (laughs) want him to do. Uh, But I think there's power in that for those who who might be struggling with their own mental health. But it's also praying, I think, for ourselves Mm. in how we respond to be able to know that Um, Firstly, have a revelation that it's not about fixing people. It's actually primarily about walking alongside them. And it's being convicted, I think, through prayer by God that our job is not to be the healer. He's the healer, ultimately. Our job is to walk alongside people. And when we are walking with and in the spirit, I think we can discern the people who might need help, even if Mm. they don't appear like they need it. Mm. We will have a better chance of knowing what to say in those conversations, or in some cases not saying anything at all, because sometimes silence is actually the best Mm. answer. Uh, And also we will have the ability to know when is this beyond me? Yes. And when do I need and to... That's a key. It's a key. All, yeah, when do I need to so. refer someone on to more professional support? And that that's okay too. Mm. This has been so helpful. And I'm sure there'll be many people who are listening to this and saying, Nick's story is my story. Or I do know somebody who's got a Nick story. And it may not be necessarily the loss of a child. Mm. It could be a variety of different uh, circumstances, a loss of a marriage, um, a loss of finances. Grief comes in all different shapes and forms. Yes, it does. So, in our last few moments, what would you like to be able to say to somebody right now who is going through this 
or know somebody, what should they be doing? I think I would say that God is present. He is in control. He is there with you or with that person, even if you don't see him or can't feel his presence. And this too shall pass. I think that um, sometimes we just need that promise and that hope that light comes in the morning, you know, and sometimes the night is long and sometimes it's a lot longer than we think Mm. it's going to be. But not only is he present there, but he's also present in the day to come. And he promises that that day is ahead. I would just encourage you to hold on to the promises of God in the midst of the challenge and the pain and the darkness and know that it can actually be a gift in and of itself, even if it definitely doesn't feel like it at the time. Yeah. But above all, there is a new season that is ahead. That is really beautiful. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing your story and being so raw and so Mm. vulnerable and for putting pen to paper Mm. so that other people will be blessed by it. Mm. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and having this conversation. Mm. I think it's it's a really important one and it's been wonderful to spend some time with you both. Thank you. Our guest today was Nick McKay, National Director of Neighbour Australia, which helps churches across the country to serve those in need and help transform their neighbourhoods. To find out more about their ministry, you can go to their website at neighbour.org. That's N-A-Y-B-A.org. And his book is called Faith, Death and Pills. We at Focus are committed to provide you with relevant and helpful resources, including this topic on mental health. We have a free four-part series available on our Family Cast platform that discusses grief, depression, anxiety and suicidal ideation. For more details, go to families.org. This resource is only available because of supporters like you that want to help more Australian families thrive in Christ. Thank you for joining us today. On behalf of Kate and the rest of the team, I'm Brett Ryan, inviting you to tune in to another edition of Focus on the Family, Australia. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.